Okay, here we are, back again for another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I am your host, Paul Randeck. I'm glad to have you all here this week. I am honored to be joined this week by Rosie Gremert, who is, I will say, a friend and in some ways a colleague, uh, one I've gotten to know over the last few years, um, and uh, one that I think has some a great message and story to tell about health and healing, um, and especially working with a lot of people that uh, have uh, benefited from, one, your, your professional services, but also from the passions you have in life about, about healing. So... Um, Again, we'll we'll start off today's episode with uh, learning a little bit about you and your life and kind of what, what brings you here and what got you here. And what I mean by that is, you know, my terminology, what makes you just another bozo on the bus, Rosie? Oh, thanks, Paul. You know, I'm grateful to be here. I've been thinking about it since you asked. And I always try to stay present and in the moment, so not thinking too far ahead of, like, what would I say? <laughs> but recognizing that truly one of my missions, I feel, as in my life is to be a messenger. So it's interesting to me that that's one of the terms that you just picked because everyone has things in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's, in fact, if we think we're the only one, then we just need to lay that down, right? Mm-hmm. And it's more... What do you do with those things and what tools do you have and how do you navigate them? And I know that that's part of my mission is to be a messenger mm-hmm. on on those pieces. So I love that you picked that word. Yeah. That's awesome. And, it, and it, it's very apropos. I, it, um, one of the things that um, you and you and Kristen are very close and I know work together. Kristen, my, my partner. Um, and one of the things that has always stood out is that idea of bringing a message and a, and a mess in a, in a teaching message. And I've learned a lot from you, even if it's not directly <laughs> through <laughs> osmosis, through Kristen. So, um, again, with gratitude, I'm glad you're here to be able to, to share that with us. And yeah, I'm listeners. looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to whoever hears this message <laughs> at helping them. It's great. Um, and that's the greatest kind of message, right? Is when your message goes out of the mouths of other people, <laughs> then that's even better because it's not all me mouth to ear. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So good. So interesting. Like, where does my story start? How does this all begin? And I've listened to several of your podcasts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just in light of kind of framing my story in a way mm-hmm. that would make sense for many of your listeners, mm-hmm. I was born into a family where my parents lost a child before I was born. Oh. And so he was three years old, and he died from what is SIDS, just more common, before the age of one. Mm -hmm. And they um, had me... Was it was it diagnosed by then? I mean, did they, did they know what the cause was? They called it SIDS. Oh, they did. Even though he was three. Okay. Yeah. And then... um, he was born in 61 and then passed away when he was three. And then I was born in 67. So there's pictures of my parents, my two older siblings, two sisters at that time, that time frame in between there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Paul, they look dead. They look dead themselves. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're empty. Like they're doing the normal family things, but they're, they're empty. And, and, I mean, I guess I would say maybe they're, 
they're putting on the, the best face they can, but it's not. You yeah. can see what's coming through is 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 sort of um, sunken or hollow in some ways. Right. Okay. And any, I mean, we all deal with grief. We all deal with loss. And um, it's actually one of the things I do is I'm a certified grief support specialist. But um, that whole thing, I know that that shaped. I always heard that you brought life back into our family. Oh. Like you were a gift from heaven. I always heard those things. And yet because of things that happened in my early childhood from outside of that core family, I disconnected from that and didn't, I didn't believe it. Uh-huh. I didn't, there became a point really early on where I didn't think that was true anymore. Hmm. Um, that I thought I was broken. We had a, a neighbor who I know now looking back at the, uh, the adult looking mm-hmm. back at the situation, he had Alzheimer's. And so I, was only four when we moved into this house that I remember this happening, but he would pull me into the bushes Uh and molest me. And his wife, I am pretty sure was fully aware and just covered it up and just hid it. And my mom was very depressed. I don't think she had any idea that it was going on. And and, then he had, he, I mean, did you not talk about it because of things he had said, or were you just so scared that you didn't want to tell anyone? Well, I mean, as you know, these early childhood memories can just be like little snapshots. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I've done work around around this, mm-hmm. so some of that's been brought more to the forefront, but I really do think that... I was afraid of his wife, and I think there's a good reason for it. Interesting. Okay. Um, so she was an unspoken accomplice in, in, mm-hmm. in ways. Okay. Well, and I think, I haven't listened to all your podcasts, but I think one thing that can be a good message for some other people is I was raised in a very strong Catholic community, mm-hmm. and I went, I mean, ultimately I went to the private school, private Catholic school mm-hmm. that was three blocks away. Uh, my dad is a nuclear physicist for Boeing, you know, so we lived in middle, upper middle class mm-hmm. neighborhood. And so the different things that went on in our home and this kind of a thing that, that like this was something that was kept away, sure, kept aside. The fact that my mom was in bed most of the time, that was not something that was talked about. In the early 70s. Of course. Right? Yeah. She was given her different... We, we still struggle today with talking about right. ment- mental illness of any kind. It's, I mean, it's maybe become easier and it's become more open and people are more vulnerable about sharing it. I mean, this podcast is obviously a lot about that. Right. But it's, there's still the stigmatization that comes along with it still holds a lot of people back. There's still fear. And yes, going back to right. the 60s and 70s, well, and a very different it's all time. over the media right now with the... We've had some pretty um, prominent suicides, yes, right? Yes, But, um, yeah, it just wasn't talked about. And, you know, it's fascinating because as I look back now, and, of course, having raised a family and um, navigated through life, I, I know now much differently than a lot of mm-hmm. other people that have had my same situations. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, I can remember the neighborhood ladies, like, taking me in and they would bathe me. So if you think of what situation would take a a neighborhood lady to take a child and decide that 
she needed to give that little girl a bath sure, sure. or food for right. that matter. I, I remember spending a lot of time in the kitchens of other people's homes. Um, you know, my dad was at work and my mom was, was depressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then we had this incident that happened that kind of changed the trajectory of me feeling worthy, shame, you know, all these things. Now I know track back to that. And at that point I started basically living a double life. Hmm. Like I can look back now and I can see that at that point was where I started to separate. This is how you act. Uh-huh. This is outside. what you put. This is the mask we wear. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is, this is what shows mm-hmm. and this is what doesn't show. Okay. Right. Um, and as I, um, have learned to kind of unpack my story mm-hmm. over all the years mm-hmm. and learn, oh, that was not normal. That as a five-year-old, I was climbing up on the cupboards to get my own food. That was not normal, the muscle relaxers my mom was taking consistently. That was, you know, the just these different pieces. Those were, those were not normal things. Right. Um, and so it, it goes... It goes back to that. Someone can take a snapshot and be like, but you grew up in this neighborhood and you went to this school and you know, you did these different pieces. How can you, how can you say that your life was so broken? But if you, if you take a look at the two different things that were going on, there Mm -hmm. was, there was the life that was happening and then there was the facade that was out there. So, you know, by the time that I was 11, I was already dabbling in drugs and alcohol. Um, by the time that I was 12, I was already being promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And um, I can see now there were already addictions definitely in place. I started selling different things. <laughs> Listen to one of your podcasts. I was an early entrepreneur. <laughs> You're an early entrepreneur. Early entrepreneur. <laughs> selling. Um, really didn't have any attachment to I don't know. You know, I had that whole thing that, oh, I'm going to live through anything. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I always thought I was smarter than everybody else that was doing whatever it was that we were doing. Right. And I was going to come out fine on the other end, even though they might be really dumb because they're doing whatever it is. I could do it once or twice or for three months or whatever, and I was going to be fine. Like I just had, I had this whole, here's the facade and here's the. So some, some magical thinking in here a little bit. Yeah. Too. Okay. Yeah, quite a bit. And, you know, you think back and you're like, well, yeah, I was 11 and 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, you just, you don't even have all of your brain at that point. So when it, when it came to the drugs and the alcohol, were you doing this with friends or was this alone? Or when, what, what do you remember about that and when you started? So sad to say, really numbing things for sure. I was self-medicating because I would do a lot of it alone. Um, it was really easy to pop pills and not have anybody know. Uh-huh. Could keep the facade, right? And they were available <laughs> at, at the, the, the the personal home ph- pharmacopoeia. Or... Exactly. Okay. Yeah, really easy to pop pills. Really easy to sell and distribute pills mm-hmm. in junior high and high school. Um, so that was, you know, drinking, I think, mostly did start as a social piece. It was harder to get alcohol. 
Um, Isn't that fascinating? That, but that's a, is a common story. When yeah, you hear the legal thing was harder yeah, to get. The, the illegal legal things, I knew exactly where to get those. <laughs> I grew up in an area in Washington State that is um, diverse and um, definitely a rougher part now. It's not too far from SeaTac Airport. Mm-hmm. So, oh. like that airport strip was, we, we had a lot of a lot of parties, a lot of different things that happened there at the airport strip. Um, so it was easy to easy to get almost anything. Hop hmm. on a bus, go to downtown Seattle, easy to do. Yeah. You know. So started living this this double thing. I I had a few different things happen where looking of course at the time when they happened, I thought they were all my fault because I was a young girl, but I had two different situations where I was I was right through those teenage years when I was growing up, I look back now and I'm like, no, no, that was not my fault. That was a normal thing. I should have been able to just walk back from the swimming pool to my, the place where I was living and not have that happen. Right. You know what I mean? Not be assaulted. Yeah, but it does. It wasn't something you were doing, Mm -mm. but you internalized it back then that you did something wrong. Yeah. Again, because that whole shame had started from so Mm -hmm. young. And again, I think that was, was planted from from this this very scared I'm sure wife of this man who was very ill and they, I don't even know that they knew what to do with Alzheimer's patients at that time either mm-hmm. you know this is just all a different world from what we have now um, well true our understanding of dementia is much different than it is I mean we understand what's happening more neurologically but behaviorally um, I mean, the changes in the brain, we don't didn't understand back then what was going on. And, mm-hmm. and not, not to use that as an excuse why someone would perpetrate on a child, that, that, that's not rational either. Right. Um, uh, Alzheimer's or dementia doesn't make, give an excuse to, for the behavior. No. And especially if, if, you know, the wife. If other people are was, aware. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the enabling pieces. Yeah. That's conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so at any rate, I definitely was numbing and self-medicating and going through a, a number of things with that. And and what I've come to understand that is unique about my story is something that has to do with uh, tenacity or something that has to do with um, this whole piece of feeling like I am a messenger. Like I can mm-hmm. remember that for, I don't know if it comes from because I was born into this family. They said, oh, you were like a gift you changed our family. So yeah. from the very beginning, that that little piece was in there. Mm-hmm. That, oh, I'm here to do the important things. Like, I've known that from when... So you own that at a very young age. Very, I mean, some way, you internalize that very young. Yeah, very okay. young. And uh, definitely felt like I am here to help others along their way. Not in an enabling kind of way. But in uh, no, a messenger, you say, yeah, to show up and be present. Yeah, you know. show up and be present and and share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so again, when I was going through these different situations, I there was always some point where I would go, you know what, this is not going to continue to work. If I continue to, for example, be using heroin, I can see what's going to happen. I don't know why that was that I was able to to see those things. Mm-hmm. And um, granted, all back in Washington, what I relied on was alcoholics, 
Anonymous, Mm -hmm. Narcotics Anonymous, and I went to COAA, too. And, like, those are the programs that I... So you 12-step-based programs. Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you remember? How old were you when you started that? I I could drive, so I would say I was 16. Okay. Um, And I do not think my parents had any idea that I was going fascinating it was in the basement of an episcopalian church that was <laughs> of course it was <laughs> right i don't know how many meetings i've gone to in the in basement, the basement of, an Epis- of, a church. of an episcopalian church or Why a catholic are they church always in the basement like they should put them at the <laughs> very highest point i think energetically that yeah. would be just so much better um but yeah i don't think that they knew and that then opened doors for me to get support and that wasn't like it wasn't just a one a one time thing mm-hmm. i would slip back into patterns and then come you know have and go back again and slip back into patterns and and in reality um i don't think i know anyone that doesn't have addictions i, I don't it, no. it's just what you're addicted to <clears throat> changes yes you can be addicted to the tv show to exercise oh. to having your your uh, organic food. I mean, <laughs> you name oh, it. Definitely food. It could be, well, an organic <laughs> food, yes, an obsession or compulsion over anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 Kristen told me that actually the other day, she goes, oh, I forgot to give uh, Rosie a copy of your book again. And I was going to say, I said, oh, my gosh, because one of the opening pieces of it or the uh, opening chapters is talking about that you can be addicted to anything it does not matter what it is mm-hmm. that the, the addiction is a human condition it's part of who we are and it's kind of a wake-up call of where we and how we express our obsessions and our compulsions in life mm-hmm. and it can be around a- anything i mean as as you as you know a belief system um yeah and, anything yeah and i have an emotion yeah any anything um I've been blessed to have some really good mentors and teachers and therapists along my path. And I've really been able to internalize that um, not necessarily is something predestined to happen mm-hmm. to us. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. I, it's more like, I think that I at one time opted in to be like, yes, I can take level 10. I can take level 10 and I'm committing that I'll take that level 10 mm-hmm. and I'll use what I learned from that to help other people. Mm-hmm. So I really do believe that I opted in to whatever level 10 is, you know, just as an example, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> in, in, in multiple areas of your life. Right. <laughs> and your experience. Right. And... And with that, did I have these different traumatic things go on? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even have to, we don't even have to outline all of them, right? Right. I don't necessarily subscribe either to that you have to know exactly how something happened or why and disseminate it all out in order to clear it. I totally agree with that. I totally agree that um, you don't have to unpack something and understand and figure it all out to have it dissipate and be able to actually move forward and yeah. from away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and heal and heal from and it. Heal. Yeah. And heal. And like genuinely just it's yeah. gone. It really is gone. I, um, my dad grew up in Eastern Oregon his parents are Irish immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And so we would always go down for rodeo. And so there's this whole piece of my 
my family background that has to do with ranches and cowboy boots and sheep and horses and and all this. And so a lot of times when I'm doing different speaking engagements or I'm teaching, mm-hmm. I'll wear my cowboy boots because a, a piece of what I'll teach is, you know, you can get some crap on your boots, but you don't have to know where, you don't have to spend all this time going like, where did I step in that? <laughs> you know, you don't have to figure that out. You can just get the crap off your boots and keep going. Yep. So shit is shit, right? Yeah. 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 And, um, so I think sometimes people get so caught up in breaking down the story or maybe that's just safe and a little bit of victim piece in there. And, and I don't know that we always have to do that. Yeah. The, often the, well, often the victim stance often comes from, uh, I mean, at least in my experience, the victim stance comes from not understanding the story or finding a story where, um, playing the victim has a, a secondary gain or a payoff for, right. for doing that. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if it's a prerequisite to, have, to be a victim and also be able to understand the story because, again, it's, it's the, the story is looked at just from a specific you know, viewpoint or paradigm. And the victim stance, which you know, moves us away from accountability and responsibility, which to me moves us away from healing you know, and becoming whole. Mm-hmm. The word I use, I mean wholehearted, um, whole or wholehearted. Um, the, the, the goal, regardless of that, is to be able to find a way to, you know, take accountability and live, you know, from a place of honesty and integrity, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And if that means, you know, yes, I take my story and I unpack it in a certain way, wonderful, but it doesn't mean that it, I have to, that has to look a certain way or certain, you know, has to be dealt with in a certain way. Right. Um, and, and being a therapist now, I, I look back over thinking more and more how um, the, the, I become more effective the more elect, uh, uh, eclectic I am. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of thinking it ha- that things have to go a certain way for everybody, you know. Uh, it, uh, is it my job to actually determine how someone else is going to process that information? Hell no. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, that's fascinating. So, um, at any rate, you know, the other thing that I just came to mind that is just fast that I've thought is fascinating. I was teaching somebody else about this the other day is, um, you know, many times this can be fairly common for someone to slip in and out of destructive behaviors, mm-hmm. right? It can take 20 runs at the at the wall before you <laughs> before you actually get over it oh you mean my head hitting the wall is actually the problem <laughs> it's, it's, i mean i know it's a symptom but it's actually the the thing that's causing the the, the problem yeah right? well and it can be part of the solution right because unless you run at the wall 20 times you might not have that strength to actually go all the way over it like you're getting stronger each time hopefully good analogy yeah, yeah but um but it's fascinating because i think if you're always striving for and your intention is that you're going to be improving and getting closer to that mm-hmm. wholehearted that real and present that mm-hmm. that you're talking about that it really is like a it's like a spiral it's like an upward upward spiral mm-hmm. and so you can take something like like this situation when i was four mm-hmm. where i really have no idea how many times i was molested i know it's more than once but i've also blocked a lot out right or even the fact that i had two different violent rapes that went on in the time that I was uh, a teenager. Um, 
it's almost like if you like take a paintbrush and it's this wide brush and you swipe it and then bring that up the up the coil mm-hmm. the at the point of the situation it's it's a big deal like mm-hmm. it's a wide thing that I've got to like work through a process right. to figure out um but then each each time that I keep progressing and keep going mm-hmm. around the spiral like just because the bristles have come apart or whatever like that that color orange, for example, is going to get thinner and thinner as it moves on up yes. the spiral. Yes. And so I do still have times where I come around and I'll bump up against something that was part of my past. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I have more tools. I have more experience. I have more times where it's been like, hey, it's okay. Mm. I've, I've made it through this valley before. I can get to the other side. And I don't necessarily have to... Uh, self-medicate. Mm-hmm. I've learned other. I've other learned other things. Yeah, other coping skills. Other and coping life skills. skills yeah. yeah. So, like for example, last night I just had the delight of being able to be in a friend's backyard and do some yoga at sunset and some meditation and journaling, which I didn't have anything near those skills when I was seventeen or sure. twenty-three or you know any of those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't doing yoga classes at the. Probably in the basement of the church. No. <laughs> no. They may now be. <laughs> they probably are. Like you can just stay after the meeting and do yoga and a meditation yeah. with essential oils. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's fun. Perfect example. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess that's like, that's the bulk of my of my story as far as like the main sure. trauma pieces. I'm curious to... Did your parents ever know or find out about all of this? Did you ever share this with them at some point? Or yeah, I and did. And what was that? What, what, what was that like? So like, fascinating that you would ask that. So when <laughs> the way that my parents found out that their little girl was not a little girl anymore was from a doctor. Oh, we were um, we were in a doctor's office, and I was needing to be seen for pain. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't figure out the pain. And then as it turned out, I had some diseases that could only be sexually transmitted. I see. I see. <laughs> so what a way for... Your, Surprise. Yeah, for yeah. a dad to find out that his 12-year-old daughter, you know, is not quite what she thought he, that she was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it was just a this, this a symptom for the parts that were broken. Mm-hmm. You know, there were many, many amazing things about our family, like truly and I think it's pretty representational of families that are pretty good. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that's good, and then there can be some stuff that's really, mm-hmm. really rotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, are you able to try to clear those rotten things out and come to terms with them and figure out where they fit in with the good? Both my parents have are gone. They've both passed mm-hmm. away. My dad passed away from cancer when I was 25. Mm. So I didn't really get to interact with him much as an adult. As an adult, right. To his credit, even with that, like you're a dad. You can imagine your 12-year-old daughter. You've Mm -hmm. got her in the doctors because you're worried about Mm -hmm. what's going on with her. Right. And this is what you're told. Yeah. Right. And then I needed to go in for surgery um, right after that to help clean that all up. Um, So to his credit... I would not say that my dad ever like shamed me. It was more just a, oh, we're disappointed. Mm-hmm. But for him, for him being such a strong and faithful Catholic, 
like that to me speaks volumes yes. to who he yeah. is, right? And so um, there's compassion in there because the sh- shame de- shame comes when there's lack of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have the the compassion and, and the empathy. Um, when, the, when those are missing, then something like shame becomes it grows in that. It's like being fueled, like addiction. The shame shame fuels addiction. The same kind of the same right. kind of way. Well, and if I were to identify one thing that still crops up for me at fifty one years old, mm-hmm. right, and with all the tools and knowledge and all the the different therapies and the different things I've been through, um, it is still shame. Like shame is still the thing that will have me like hold back, will have me catch my breath, Mm -hmm. will have me go, oh, I was not being authentic right there. Or I'm saying yes to something that I don't really want to do. It's, you know, it's not, it's not as strong as what it was when I was younger, but it's still there. You know, it's still something that I, that I have to go, oh, that's shame. Okay, we're going to put that back down. It's not something I want to take with me. The onions call it what? The swampland of the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 the, that idea that that's where everything kind of gets built upon, because kind of becomes, ferments upon itself in such a toxic way. Yeah. yeah and, and it, with, without and again the 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 addictive piece just keeps it kind of stuck in there and keeps it fed and and doesn't and doesn't give it any light to see um, the addictions keep fostering that shadow and the darkness that associate with why shame becomes so encompassing and sometimes in people's lives and it feels almost impossible to get out of it it's like being stuck in cement. I think probably for some people, yeah. at least in my experience of all the years of, of dealing with, um, you know, in the addiction field and in, in, in the mental health field, that that seems to be a common theme. Yeah. 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 It's a good way to describe that stuck in cement. So it's fascinating to me that like through all the years that I have been an educator, that I've been a health coach, that I've been teaching others along their way, helping people clear physical and emotional mm-hmm. things. I many times would talk about, oh, yeah, I was abused as a young girl. Mm. uh, Rape is part of my story. Mm -hmm. I tell that part of the story. And yet it's only been more recently that I've said, like, the word addiction. Like, it's a dirty word. Like, why why would addiction be more shameful than some of these other things? Why would addiction be more shameful than me being promiscuous as a 12-year-old? And then all the way through till I was married at Mm -hmm. 19, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Why, why would that be? And yet, and yet it is. And I had a realization as at a workshop with, um, several other women and told that piece of my story. And I literally was like, Oh, look at that. None of them are looking at me like I'm dirty or they don't ever want to talk to me again. Like it was, you know, so it's still, it still can be there. And I, I don't think that's uncommon. I think that that for many people who are addicts, part of them is like, I should be able to do better at this. Like it's like people are judging me because I can't control myself. Well, the whole morality piece around, around addiction is, you know, fosters this, um, misplaced or delusional thinking about it. Yeah. 
and that that does not i mean that perpetuates um almost this you know this moral weakness which is so irrational i mean when you begin to understand what addiction is and how it works that um if if it was a moral issue then um you know it wouldn't be instead of a health, what it really is is a, in many ways a, a healthcare issue um it, it gets a little mixed up the problem is is that we only think of often addiction being a healthcare issue and and you know a human health issue when it has to do with a substance we don't we don't see the the mental health components when people get addicted to a belief system or a dogma that doesn't serve them in life and mm-hmm. and alienates them and and allows them it doesn't allow them to be compassionate and open and wholehearted with people so um the 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 feeling often um the judgment that comes from people that struggle with different forms of addiction especially substance ones when it looks looked at from a sense of if morality then all the bias and and the judgment and the prejudice come into it and the, you know the, which there's there's the shame too but something's wrong mm-hmm. something's wrong with that person mm-hmm. instead of the, looking at it from a, a you know a place of um, hurt or pain or, or trauma or abuse or, um, you know, a, a fragmentation of the soul, if, if so to speak. Um, uh, learning how to be able to live life without having, and, and from a place of acceptance and compassion towards ourselves. I mean, this really becomes the biggest thing is how do we have love and compassion for ourselves, right? It's true. Yeah. Yeah, because if we can love and accept ourselves, then we don't have to have that facade <laughs> and the shame can just like disappear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So kind of back to your question about, did I ever tell them? Um, I don't know that my dad ever did know that I was raped. I did talk with my mom about it before mm-hmm. she died. Um, she was hurt. She was hurt because she realized that she hadn't realized that was going on. Right. You know, and I can see that now as a mom, I have four, four adult children mm-hmm. who are all married and even have kids. And then we still have a, a younger son who's at home, but I can see that as a mom being like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you right. were going through that. Yeah. That was more her response mm-hmm. to that. But I did think it, it helped to bond us and it helped her to have more compassion and understanding of why I did uh, a number of the things that I did. Why why you made the choices you did at the time. Right. Yeah. Because although I, you like, uh, they had no idea that I was growing pot in their, <laughs> I, had, I had a whole hydroponic system set up in their attic and they didn't know that. Um, I'm so proud of you. Gosh, all right. <laughs> This is not the time for me to tell you about my pot story, but it will. Well, see, and now it's legal in Washington state, so it's all good. It's a little different. That's where where I was from. So Um, So all is forgiven, Rosie. All joking aside. Yeah. Right? Um, No, but it's just fascinating. But when I look at my family history, like my dad, if you think about it, my dad was born to Irish immigrants Mm -hmm. in ranching, eastern Oregon, Went to um, a one-room schoolhouse all the way through grade 12. You know, graduated with like four people. And would literally come back from college in the summer to run sheep up to Canada and back uh-huh. to earn money to pay for school, right? Yeah. And it went on to become one of the top five nuclear physicists in the country. Like, 
do you think there might have been a little bit of addiction there with being a workaholic? <laughs> just possibly. Yeah, just right? possibly. Yeah. Just possibly. And you look at my mom's side, and my grandmother, her mother, actually was such an alcoholic that she ended up losing her legs before she passed away. Oh, my. Yeah. So um, I think that one of the things that did keep pulling me back out Mm -hmm. and even now I'll catch myself oh wait I'm working a little too much or uh, I'm being a little too diligent about having that green smoothie every single day I mean whatever it's been exercise at different times Uh you know it can be it can be sex it can Mm -hmm. be all these different things I'll catch myself on that because back to that mission and being a messenger I really I know that one of the things I'm here to do is be a chain breaker. I look at my own kids and how much more centered they are mm-hmm. and how as adults they can make choices that really are good for themselves and their families. Mm-hmm. And they're not being even manipulated by family pressures to like, Oh, go to this or go do mm-hmm. that. They're not, um, they're just so di- they're just so different than what my husband and I were when we were at their stage of life. Mm-hmm. And I can see this is working. You can set aside anything that has to do with a specific religious belief mm-hmm. or where it is that we live in the country, and I can see many of the shackles have fallen away. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is amazing. And that's the message that I share with people as I teach them. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what those shackles might be, for some people, it really is a physical thing. For some, it's a mental, emotional thing. Always hand in hand with whatever else is part of their support team and network. But just to be a, a chain breaker, you know, and I stand as a witness so many times to people using the tools that I'm teaching them, using professionals like yourself, mm-hmm. uh, using clergy, whatever tools and programs they can have, including natural and holistic pieces, and truly breaking chains. Mm. You know, so that when then we look back, there's there's people I've been working with for a decade, right? We look back to five years and ten years and they cannot believe how different their lives are and how different their family's lives are being, mm. right? So I do, I know that's part of my message. I said, yeah, give me 10, right? <laughs> give me, yeah. give me the whole thing. I can carry it. And not only can I carry it, I can see it as that these are opportunities to learn and grow and be strong so that I can help other people. Yeah. Which is a way of, um, and I'm not sure if this is the right terminology, but this uh, this ability to, in some ways, master something as simple as showing up. Um, one of the one of the things that I, I, I work with people on too is just the aspect of how important showing up is. Mm-hmm. Show up, show up, show up, and that. By showing up, eventually, you know, many other things will follow. But it's just getting up and moving and and being present. Um, Physically, it can start that way. It may not always be that we're emotionally or spiritually present. But eventually, those things will come around and also join. The more that we 
mm-hmm. continue to show up and participate and connect. To me, to me, that really becomes a, a key factor of that. And it sounds like that you there's some part of you that that naturally mastered this ability to show up and be present. And well, it takes grit. <laughs> Yeah. Like, That's a good, let's good just word. be real. Oh, okay. This is not something that just magically happens. No, no. There's no I'm uni- not talking poof here. There's no unicorns involved. <laughs> just, oh, damn. I know. Yeah, I've had my fair share of stretches where it was, it felt impossible to get out of bed, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. For, for sure. And I think your message is a good one. Yeah. Many times it's just physically get up, get your body where it needs to be, mm-hmm. and trust. And trust, yeah. 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 And the idea, and going back to the, that little piece in there, that yes, there are times that it is hard to get out of bed. And that doesn't mean that something's necessarily broken as much as that's where we are in that moment. I, I know that... I know, and especially colleagues in my field, that there's a tendency to kind of think of that in black and white terms. And I, I think that gets a little tricky, um, especially if it, if it comes from looking at what that means for an individual um, as far as w- where they are in their life in that moment and, you know, wanting to label it in, in a certain way. Because sometimes that... That that period of time, um, not always. I'm not saying this is again. It's not black and white. That period of time is is an important, almost nesting period for for the people and their souls in some ways. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to. I, I want to be careful here because I, I I'm not I'm not talking about when um, there are th- thoughts of harm or, or suicide or these kinds of things coming in as, as we were talking a little bit earlier, but that there are times when, when people need to emotionally, uh, you know, and psychologically rest or nest. And it doesn't always look really healthy in, in some ways. It's not always pretty. It's not always pretty. That was going to be my word, but I didn't know, I didn't know yeah. how it was going to come out. Well, one of the things that I do teach and I'm sure you do too, is, if we are consistently doing that soul care mm-hmm. consistently, then we're less likely to get to the point where we're so depleted that we can't function anymore. So I know this is going to sound a little strange, but um, <laughs> good. good, right? She's like, I love strange. Um, in 2012, uh, in January of 2012, my mom was terminally ill. She actually was diagnosed with the types of cancers that she had and passed away less than four months later. Mm. I was her primary medical power of attorney, Mm -hmm. and I was also stepping into a very uh, competitive and aggressive um, program with my work, right? And was going to have the opportunity to have additional training, to have um, travel reimbursed, like all the all the pluses that can happen from stepping into like mm-hmm. a higher level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also knowing that this reality was going on. And uh, at that time, I was fully aware that if I was not careful, I would deplete myself with everything that was going on. So in a very emotional and broken moment in my bathtub, in my bathroom, which is for, I know a lot of women, that's where those broken moments can happen. 
closets mm-hmm. and bathrooms, mm-hmm. right? Um, I committed to myself that at least for the period of that program, which is a four month program, mm-hmm. that I was only going to take baths. Now that might sound funny to somebody else, but to me, I'd had we'd had four kids in six and a half years, like when we were raising kids, right? <laughs> so for me, as a working mom, someone had always been scraping, scraping, scraping to get things to work. Sometimes my husband and I working two and three jobs. A bath was like the epitome of self care. No, I, I get, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so, um, and so I did. Well, in a shower, I mean, people joke about me. My kids go, "Yeah, Dad has the two minute shower." I, I, I'm one of those guys. But the idea, it, it, the idea of a bath, it is literally building a practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. I'm not going to make light of it in any way because that's a huge. I mean, in my way of thinking, that's a huge commitment. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is a huge commitment. And not only did I, but since January of 2012, I've only taken baths. Wow. Except, like, for example, we just did a humanitarian trip in Nepal. (laughs) And so that was putting my head under the one water faucet in the village. So that does not count as a bath. Yeah, I think they're... There are probably limitations when there's not a bath available. Yeah, you know, and or a, or a river or something. Right, like that. and I truly can bath about as quickly as I can really bath as quickly as people can shower. Sure. But that's not the point. The point is, I made this very conscious decision mm-hmm. that I'm going to fill my cup so that I can still fill others. Yes, and I do that on a daily basis. Do I still have days where it's like, oh, I just don't want to do today? Yeah. Do I still have days when I think you'd think, no, my last drink was 1985, right? Uh So you, would you think I would ever still crave a drink? Yeah. I would. I do. Yeah, sure. And I've got some good friends and I'll call them up and I'll say, Hey, go, (laughs) go have a drink for me. (laughs) Cause they know, like they've known me long enough. Right. And I also have some people that they, um, cause I am LDS now. So I have some different people that be like, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that, do that, do that. And like, no, you know, that has nothing to do with my religion for me. Hmm. I, I eliminated different pieces that you're now saying you couldn't do the religion because of those things uh-huh. way before I had anything to do with this religion because mm-hmm. that was what I needed. I don't go to church for me. I don't go to church for you. I go to church for me. I mean, I don't go to church for somebody else to see me there. I go to church for me. And um, it's been fascinating to move here to this state because it's a little bit different. I think a lot of you people... You mean LDS culture in LDS Utah culture in along Utah Along the Wasatch Front, slightly different than it is. It is. Other... And I live in Utah County, yeah. which I understand that's even more so, yeah. right? Because yeah. I, I, you know I, I grew up in Connecticut, I think, and I, I had a few Mormon friends back there. And, I mean, they, they were a minority, of course. Um, but moving... Moving well, I moved to Boise first, and so just a little, little, little closer. But moving to Salt Lake was a, a culture shock for me because I, mm-hmm. I had no experience of Mormonism from that aspect. From you know, that just seemed like everything else. You know, back where I was growing up, except it was a, a very small percentage. But um, the the I think I think living it, and maybe this is like you know uh, you know being Southern Baptist in, in Atlanta or or or, or, right. or or being you know Catholic in in Rome. I, 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 these are the analogies that go through my mind. But I, I'm curious for you 
that you became you chose to be LDS or jo- become be uh, join the LDS church when you were in Washington I'm going to guess. Yeah. yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, I was I was 18. It was part of part of my entire transformation and actually putting everything down for good. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I think that's a really good point and I've seen it. I've been in other I've I've been in other parts of the world with other predominant religions uh-huh. enough that you know, our habits, they can become addictions, but our habits are truly our brain's way of making it so that we're not having to hold on to so much all at one time. That's a, that's a good point. It is. Yeah, yeah. And there are many people here, like, because I think a lot of people can relate to this whole LDS piece because uh, you seem to have people come to your podcast that are local, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah. so people can relate to that. But a lot of what happens with people in these cultures where you've got these culture pockets Mm -hmm. is there's habits involved and those habits create safety for our human brain. Mm -hmm. And so people are just working from a space of their, of their safety. Yes. A space of their comfort. That's a good way to put it. So it's, it's really easy for, for me. Um, and I hope it is for others too, to not hold judgment on that. Like I, I really hope that when I do something that's a little odd to somebody else, that they're not holding judgment on me. In fact, I just assume it. I just assume that they don't because that doesn't serve, right? That doesn't serve. So, um, so I navigate around in this really highly, um, uh, conservative LDS arena, Uh right? Where I live Uh and I have good friends and good connections there. Uh But I can just as easily, and I do, go and like serve at the Genesis Project in Seattle, yes. where they rescue young women out of human trafficking situations mm-hmm. when they raise their hands and say, "Yes, I'm ready to break free." Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've, I have volunteered there in their shelter. I can just as easily go downtown Salt Lake mm-hmm. and be a part of a group of people handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm-hmm. and interacting with the homeless people. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, that's the key. I think that's the magic, like drop the labels, drop the facades, mm-hmm. just be real and be present. And, um, there's no reason to like, hang on to all of those pieces. Well, that, that's that, the, I mean, that probably is the basis of, in many ways, this podcast of just that, you know, move beyond the entitlement move beyond the righteousness and in, in the sense of you know um being better and that that n- notion or idea that you know we're just all bozos on the bus mm-hmm. that anyone could be driving at any time and that um and then we can be a passenger or we can be a driver or, or whatever that looks like but you know what do we do within the the, the community that we that we live in do we choose to embrace it for all the different af- a- a- all the different aspects of that community all the different um beliefs and and cultures that come together i mean yes we have a per- you know some some predominant cultures here but U- utah in itself is a very diverse place i one of the things that i loved about teaching at, at the slick um for um the years that i did was salt lake community college um uh, 
was the the diverseness that that here is here mm-hmm. and i think some and sometimes I, I would forget that until i would show up to class you know and and um and uh, i was a minority and that that always f- somehow had a redeeming sort of f- you know feel to it or uh, awareness to it that uh, that I, I you know i'm part of something much bigger than just the things that i probably see or acknowledge or or maybe focus on from from day to day and and i i think that that's you know this idea by the way i want to i feel like i'm i'm waxing a little too philosophical here so will, will you talk a little bit about the the genesis project oh sure um i'm happy to so I moved here to Utah about four years ago. So it's been a while since I've been heavily involved mm-hmm. with them because to be a volunteer there, of course, you have to be able to go into the shelter. But mm-hmm. Genesis Project Seattle, um, anybody listening can go to their site. They do amazing work. They are Christian-based mm-hmm. um, by the name. You can probably figure that out. Yeah, right. <laughs> and as these as these women and girls are brought in, they are then given different, um, Genesis Project works with different networks of support to help them transition out of where they've been being pimped mm-hmm. to, um, to, to release their drug addiction, to get a GED, to have work um, experience, to have um, you know, supported living situations mm-hmm. as needed. I mean, you know, the whole gambit. Um, so they basically are the space where they're brought to. The initial rescue occurs. It was actually founded um, hand-in-hand with uh, a specific police officer there, and I have forgotten his name, which I hope they forgive me. Um, Done. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, that was easy. Um, but it's it's phenomenal, and I'm just, like, my heart is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the reason why my heart is there is if you look back at the at the the true people that I hung out with when I was in high school mm-hmm. at Highline High School in Burien, which is just a skip away from the strip, uh, those people are are dead. Most of them are dead. Uh-huh. And so, you know, for whatever reason, I was I broke out. I'm I'm free. I'm I've had completely different life outcomes. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I think it goes back to, I raised my hand at some point and said, yes, give me the hard things and I'll be a messenger for other people. Uh Um, but it just really helped to fill my soul. It helped, it helped me with a lot of healing to go back into those spaces, places where I'd had some pretty horrific things happen, Mm -hmm. places where a lot of things happened that I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still can be triggered by things that happened from in those spaces. Um, but you have a whole different series of skills and tools and yeah. to be able to, to, to deal with the any feelings that would come from, from triggering something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just a beautiful program. I'm just so grateful that they're, that they're there yeah. and they do amazing work. And, um, yeah, I would say anyone that's fascinated by that, go yeah. check out their website. Definitely. And I, 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 I encourage that. This, this notion, though... Um, of how we connect um, and and find our our place, you know, in humanity, um, really comes forward in, in service. Mm-hmm. It uh, in, in, in almost in whatever form it comes in. 
Um, but that that's to me a, a beautiful example of of how we become something more um, is by allowing ourselves to give wholeheartedly and openly and freely. Yeah, I would not have near the healing that I've had if I hadn't figured out that by for me mm-hmm. when I can really get soul to soul with other people and serve them mm-hmm. that it changes me. Yes. And and it does. And that's something that I teach people I work with too. You can I don't care who you call your divine or what you ascribe to as far as that goes uh-huh. when you serve another human uh-huh. then it changes you yes beautifully said mm-hmm. beautifully said and it is a part of my recovery journey for sure you know one of the one of the things that i've recognized about me is as something as a trauma or something goes on in my life my first response is as to um is to manage that Mm-hmm. And I know it's pretty common. Then you kind of deal with the trauma or the waves after. Yeah. Like you manage the situation when it goes on. Sometimes I can look at the way that I manage them and go, well, "That was really a poor way to do that." <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I've also come to understand that that was also how I kept myself safe. Sure. So keeping myself safe, you know, I can honor that that five-year-old little girl for the choices she made because that was safety at that time or that 12-year-old or that 14-year-old, you know, because that was safety at that time. Um, But that whole piece of then later on, I would always be taking action. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's just part of who I am or if it's a coping skill, but there's always action involved for me. Um, even to the point that, like, for example, when 9-11 happened, uh, I happened to be involved in the school district we were in at the time. Mm-hmm. And so my first thought was, how can we raise money for right. these families? Right. And not that it was all me, but I was a a push for this fundraising campaign that happened throughout all of the schools where all the kids brought in change. And within, like, three days, we raised $12,000 for yeah. For victims of the trade center, right? Um, but that's just—you were a conduit. That's how that's how I respond mm-hmm. to stress and trauma is is to take action. Yeah, um, I have a colleague, uh, Todd Sylvester, who um, I, I, has a, a, a wonderful story too, and and he, and his whole his whole philosophy—I won't say his whole philosophy—that's that's not true. Part of his philosophy is is action. It is so much comes down to action. That's kind of like the first step is showing up, and then the next one's acting. But he says you can't. <laughs> probably Todd. I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but the um, <laughs> if you don't give away what you have, it's like if. You can't keep it. You can't live it. You can't imbibe it unless you give it away. Mm-hmm. And that, that the process to becoming whole, and again, I believe this you know, from a, a perspective of being wholehearted, is giving it away. And that's kind of, that's what I'm hearing. I don't know if that resonates for you too, but that's yeah. kind of what I, I hear you saying is that I, for me, for me to 
you know, to be who I am and to, to live however you want to define sobriety. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol, but living with a sober heart and a sober mind that I, I need to give away everything I've got in some level, you know, mm-hmm. that I have that this, this meaning and this ability to show up and to take action. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you do this, but every year I pick a word of the year. I, I did not know that. Yeah. I pick a word of the year and Sometimes it's something like uh, something pretty powerful, like courage, right? Or, but um, in 2017, the word that kept coming to me was surrender, and so that what you were just saying uh-huh. embodies that in a way. Yes, that whole yeah. piece of uh, not trying to always be in control of the situations, <laughs> the illusion of control, the illusion of control, yeah, and and surrendering. Like being willing to just be present, be open to whatever is meant to unfold in that mm-hmm. moment, um, and s- even to surrender those parts of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and be open like that, yeah. Okay. Um, you want to want to move on to a few other areas? Go. <laughs> okay. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, well. So this is one I, I, I enjoy asking or exploring with people is this, I, I think you've already answered it, but um, this idea of, you know, free choice and, and free will and the, the ability that we can make choices in our lives and that we have that ability. Um, it's an old argument that maybe go, comes from uh, the idea of, uh, you know, the behaviorist model that there's so much that becomes conditioned in our lives um though the more i do this podcast and the the more i I work in 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 the uh addiction and mental health field the more i realize that that everything does in some ways for me is how i see it does come down to choice but some people don't necessarily believe in that that they they think things are more predetermined i think you kind of gave it away when you said early on that i don't really think of i think a believer use the construct of destiny was that was that something you said something along those lines i don't know it's not a word i use a lot maybe somebody who listens to the recording can let us know <laughs> uh, i i had a, a marty mcfly moment uh, when you said that I, you know, yeah from back to the future back to the future right yeah, yeah. right yeah. um yeah, it's it's fascinating because I think that there's a lot of phil- philosophical things that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, we just don't know. And I'm not too concerned with having or needing to know uh-huh. it all right now. I am, I am someone who is intuitive. I am someone who I listen for and feel the inner voice and the whisperings of my soul and uh-huh. follow those things. And when I know that and feel that, then I can move forward to some pretty strong intensity because my belief on whatever that is, is so strong and solid. Right. So do, do I believe that there are like, do I believe, like I said, that I raised my hand at some point and said, go ahead, give me the hard Uh because I know I'm strong enough that I can, I can do it. And Mm -hmm. I can help others along their Uh way to figuring out who they are. Yeah, I believe that. Um, well, but there's a lot. Wasn't that your choice, though? That I mean, 
Yeah, I think that was you, my you chose that, right? I chose that. I'm raising my hands. I know. We are we're <laughs> we're both raising, raising our hands. Our hands right? So I'm going to start throwing out some hallelujahs. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love the South. It's a really fun place to go to <laughs> church. Lots of passion. Lots of passion. Um, but yeah, I do believe that. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I think that sometimes, or maybe even many times, people... They are disappointed in themselves because there's a part of them that can see or feel a greatness or sense mm, yeah. something maybe that they're here to do or a change to make. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not connected to any specific religion, no, right? Of course not. Yeah. Of course. Um, and yet, though, it can manifest in that. It can. Yeah. I yeah mean, it that, can. Yeah. Again, that the the. The you know the the spiritual path becomes um, uh, a way to express that mm-hmm. you know that and that's what that I mean there's there's a lot of beauty in that yeah. by all means yeah and that whole piece of gosh I'm just gonna honor anyone who's on their own spiritual journey yeah now outside of the realm of something that might physically be harming somebody else mm-hmm. there are some pretty extreme religious groups out there. Um, my husband and I just spent a couple of weeks in Nepal and got to go on a humanitarian trip there and be out in a village for six of those days mm-hmm. working and serving. And, you know, I have never felt the intensity of namaste in the same way as having some of these Nepalese people uh-huh. just look right into your soul mm-hmm. as they're saying namaste, Right. So it wasn't just a word. No, no, it's not just thrown around right. like what can happen sometimes. Not that everybody does that. I don't mean that by any stretch. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it did. It wasn't, it's, it's not coming from a place of fashion. <laughs> no, it's their belief. So, you know, those, those people that we were there serving, did they raise their hand to teach me lessons at one point? I don't know, Paul. What do you think? What a great question. Right? I don't know. Well, if they, I mean, we chose, if, I guess if, 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 if looking at it from a choice model, um, then, then everyone's choosing on some level that, that path that they're on and whoever crosses their path, I, I guess, I know I'm, I'm going into the woo here a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> then it's all part of the choice. Then it's all part of the choice. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. all part of the choice. Yeah. So, and I think that the reason why the part of part, this does seem important to me is, um, is the idea of promoting the ability to make decisions and choices. Um, and not coming from a victim stance. And so I think there's an importance to embracing that power within us, however you want to describe, whatever word you want to put to it. I, I guess I use the word choice in the sense of if, if, I, if I don't take responsibility in my life and I don't come from a place of accountability, then how can I, have, how can I in any realistic way say I have a choice? Because then I'm a, I'm a victim to some type of destiny, or you know, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't make a lot of sense, in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and 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 locally, of course, um, uh, um, 
there's we embrace a terminology of of free agency right. um which is, is is a is a traditional um dogma here which i think kind of resonates with that as well i, yeah. I think and i think has a, a lot of uh, as much validity as anything else that that notion that um humans have the ability and the agency to choose yeah we do so, so that's it's, what i guess and where it's I come from. and it's beautiful yeah yeah. Okay. Um, so, in in life, generally speaking, um, what are, what are the, the you've you've talked talked a lot about moments that have have been powerful for you. Um, and when it comes to like the some of the strongest life lessons or something that really stands out to you, is there anything in particular that stands out when you think of a a life lesson that? And is there any person that maybe is involved in that as well hmm. any life lesson it's been so many <laughs> I've been around for a minute <laughs> do you ever ask yourself your questions Paul I do all the time <laughs> oh yeah there's been so many you know, um, one thing that's a little bit of an anomaly and also just kind of give him a shout out is my husband and I have been married for 32 years in August. And so, like the people we both were when we got married back in 1986, um, you know, we have basically needed to fall in love again and again and again with the new person that we each have become. Oh, right. Beautiful. And it's oh not, my. it's not like you're always on the same path <laughs> on 32 years. Uh -huh. You know, it's, it is, it is a choice. And again, I've had many very good friends who've needed to set marriages down because of abusive situations, infidelity, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it's not a judgment of like my way is the best way, but it's more like if I was going to talk about a teacher, mm -hmm. this other human who rose his hand uh -huh. to put up with all of my stuff, you know, that he's been quite a teacher. <laughs> he must have, I don't know, he's getting extra pay for what he's doing <laughs> down here, <laughs> being married to me. Um because can you, I know that other people who have dealt with trauma can deal with this, but imagine we've been married for all these years and yet still when this man who knows everything about me mm -hmm. puts his hand on my stomach, I mm -hmm. freeze. Mm -hmm. I, I freeze, mm -hmm. right? And as much as I've tried to clear that trauma piece mm -hmm. over all these years, mm -hmm. that's still there. And yet he's, he's still there. Mm-hmm. You know, before we were even married, one time we were just a social thing, walking along. I didn't know he was behind me. He came up, and he just wrapped his arms around me from the back. Uh -huh. I screamed and could not have the scream stop. I literally could not control that scream, right? I still feel it to this day. That scream. That scream. Gotcha. I felt you just, I felt it just you talking about it. Yeah. yeah. So... So these are the things that he's gotten to navigate with me. And of course he's got his own things too. Like he's not of course. Michael the Archangel or anything. <laughs> um, but that's been quite a teacher. 
right? That's that's. We've had five children together. Mm-hmm. We've been through layoffs. We've been through life-threatening illnesses. We've been through family deaths. We've been through. Um, Oh gosh, he fell three stories one time. He lit himself on fire one time. Like, like, how can you summarize? On no, no. I know no. that was a setup. I'm I know sorry. it's great, but yeah, he right. burned forty five percent of his body, and oh it was quite gosh. traumatic. Like we've, you know, you've you've been doing life with people. These yes. are big, major things. Um, they are, and so I would say that he's been quite a teacher because. Um, we are quite opposite. We're very opposite. Mm. And um, he teaches me to center and stay home and ground and um, be a little more still. And I pull, I pull him out, right? Um, and knock on wood, it's still, it's still working most of the time, okay. right? Yeah, so gotcha. I would say that's probably one of the that's definitely been life changing because through through everything, mm. good, bad, and ugly, right? We've always tried to navigate it together. So mm. powerful, powerful statement. Okay. Um, in life, uh, what what brings you joy? Oh, I love connecting with humans. I love the human story. Mm-hmm. I love hearing when someone overcomes whatever it is. It doesn't matter. So that right there brings me joy. Um, That just fills me up. And then uh, I love being with little kids and being around their joy and spontaneity and their curiosity Mm. and and all that. And not... um, I don't know, just in a fun and playful kind of a way. It was a big deal for me when I had the support of a, of a program and a therapist to help me to uh, re-meet that little girl, Rosie, mm-hmm. that I had left behind mm-hmm. when she got so hurt, you know? And so for me to meet her again and just, you know, like visually and emotionally hold her and have her with me mm-hmm. that was a big deal yes. and so i see i see that beauty in children i i actually see that beauty in a lot of people um even that aren't children i can see that i can see that child and you see the child people. in them mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think just because of my own experiences of having that be so disjointed for so long yeah i like that i like that analogy and that that story of of witnessing that that the there is definitely a, a sense of um healing when we um this this notion of of healing the child the inner child mm-hmm. um of, of or at least in the, maybe from that aspect of creating safety you know for that that child um that uh our relationships with children as an adult change I can say that from my own experience as yeah. well. So I, 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 I resonate and relate to that. Yeah. yeah, I love to create. I love to be outside. I love to serve. It really does fill me up. Mm. That brings me joy. I actually went to Otis Parsons in Cornish, so um, sculpture and art is a big part of my inside, right? I uh-huh. love 
Those things bring me joy. We like cooking, good food, gathering people together. I love teaching. I, I love teaching. That makes me really happy. So. We're, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Um, so the, one of the things... <laughs> He's like, I've got an agenda. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, but I want to come back around full circle and, and let people know that how, how they can, if they want to, if you're okay with it, if they can reach out to you yeah. um, and give them information how to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the other, one of the next ones is a little bit more, I, I, I relate to it more from the sense of self-care when I think about this. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I call this, this environment that where this happens kind of a Zen zone, meaning that it, this should be a safe place that, that we, you know, where people connect and talk and share and, um, and each of us has our, our way of identifying and, and finding, um, the place in which we re- regenerate, where <laughs> we build up our credits emotionally, spiritually. Like, how do you how do you connect with your Zen zone? How do you where, where is that in your life, where you radiate with self care? Well, I take a bath, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with candles and music and oils and Epsom salts and all those good things. That's what. Um, I do meditate. It's part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's recorded medication, meditation, medication, meditations. Um, <laughs> I, I want to, I want to learn more about recorded right. medications. <laughs> recorded medications. That might really help. Um, or sometimes it's, it's not. Um, I, I also take time every day to be by myself, even if it's not just that morning uh-huh. meditation. Mm-hmm. I found out a long time ago, um, that I needed that every day. I I do tend to connect deeply with people when I'm with them, uh-huh. and so it's critical for me to have some time to just be on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, every once in a while, it is super healthy for me to just get completely lost in a book and just not put it down and even read all the way through the night, you know? Um, I, I just, ha- I need to have times where I can just get lost yeah. uh, away from things. I have been so blessed in that what I've chosen to create in helping others has created uh, resources that I can go to beaches or water and be filled. Mm. It was actually one of the Mm. most um, potentially traumatizing things of moving to Utah. I was like, where am I going to find water? It's a (laughs) desert. (laughs) Um, I, I relate to this one. I, 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 I did learn, but it would surprise me what I learned. But that, yes, I do relate Luckily, to that. there's mountains. Yes. So that's good. They uh-huh. can fill me. Uh, so nature and being outside really can fill me. But for sure, it, it, does, I'm not, it doesn't need to be a tropical beach. That's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because I think there's so many pieces of this that are actually tied into our DNA and we just have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Because my Irish ancestors, which I'm more than 50% Irish, they're from the very northernmost part of Ireland, way up in the tip of Donegal and Malinhead. Oh, my. And it is rocky, rough, northern ocean shore mm-hmm. up there. And the storms are phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know, to just stand there and view the ocean in all of its glory and a storm is amazing. So I definitely use nature, um, to fill back up. 
and I take care of myself with the things I choose to put in my body. Mm-hmm. And I'm very mindful about the energy of other people that I am around as far as who's in my inner circle and who I hang out with. Mm-hmm. And I'm mindful of what I listen to. Um, I played French horn for years and saxophone and a few other instruments and music's a big part of my life. And I'm super mindful about what I listen to. Like honestly, all day long, I'm like, how can I raise my vibe? How uh-huh. can I raise my vibe? How can I raise my vibe? And these are all, these are all parts of taking care of me so that I have things to give to others when I'm with them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that makes a, a, a lot of sense. Yeah. If I'm not taking care of me, I have nothing to yeah, give. Right. Yeah. It, 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 self-care is such an important aspect to, I use the term growing up, but <laughs> being come responsible, um, and you know, I've I've learned, uh, and yes, I've had my, um, I've had some some work addictions. Um, and wait, do you uh, want to say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I've had kidding. some work. Hello, addictions. my name is Paul, yeah. and <laughs> I'm a workaholic. Yes, um, yeah, and I've I've talked about this a lot lately, um, and and had and and learning one of the things that was has been difficult for me. I was, you know, learning to ask for help. So this is the, uh, <laughs> though, um, my, my, uh, my experience of having a heart attack, um, was, uh, was shaking me from the core a little bit because it's one of the last things I expected to have happen. Um, it definitely has, uh, empowered me, um, to be more honest and, with myself as far as being willing to show up for me and to set boundaries. And that means show up for others because the more I show up for me, the more honest I am with other people, which is kind of a, a fascinating thing I didn't quite get. And I'm surprised I'm 62 years old and I just figured that out. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm sure I, there are times that I, I understood the, uh, this in, in certain ways, but uh, it, it, it really hit home a few months ago and has been, um, Okay. Well, uh, I just a closing thought on that. If if we don't practice self-care, uh, we're setting ourselves up to need to lean on other things to try and prop us up. Yeah. If we don't practice self-care, that's when the balance is out and you've got to have other you you lean on other things to pull it up. Mm-hmm. And that is where I see the people I work with leaning more on their addictions and their dysfunctional behaviors because they're desperately trying to that they're like, this isn't working. Things aren't sinking. Everything's out of whack and they're desperately trying to pull it back or prop it or whatever words you want to use. Well, (sighs) finding a way, um, often what not healthy ways to maintain a certain level of irrational and unaccountable thinking mm-hmm. and, and hoping maybe somewhere along the way, someone else or some, something else will save them. Well, I can remember thinking everybody else was a liar. They're lying. They're not, there's no way somebody with their house and their marriage and their dog and their 2.5 kids 
in suburbia is happy. Uh-huh. I just thought they were all lying. Because that was my experience. Sure. The facade, and yeah. here's the real life. Right. Right? And so the more that you can fill yourself up and know that you're being true to you, and uh-huh. not in a defensive or reactive kind of way, but truly taking care of that inner you, that person you've always been, then that is when we can just connect with other humans and see it's not a lie. Somebody truly can be happy there. Somebody else can be totally happy living in a treehouse. The people we met in Nepal, uh-huh. they make the equivalent of $400 a year, Paul. Yeah. Do you know what? Happier than most of the people yes. I know here in the U.S. Yes. Happy. Yeah. Truly, soulfully happy. Right? But you know what? They hold their loved ones and they take care of the things that matter. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, beautifully and beautifully said. Okay. Um, as we start, we start to kind of wind things up here. Um, one of the things I, I ask in going back to music um, is if there were a couple songs that were representational of you or your life and, um, I started this saying, well, if you had a life celebration, what would you play? You know, and, and um, but I, I know that these things change and I do have a, a playlist I've been working on for Kristen. will tell you this, by the way, oh, as long wor- as she knows what it is, she, yeah. I've been working on it for, um, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the kids know about it too. And they, they once want to say, you know, you should have that song in there. And I guess whatever, but, um, Sometimes it's just, you know, a song that, or a few songs that we think kind of are representational or, or have an, have some kind of impact or meaning for us personally that may not, you know, may not for anyone else or in any way make sense. But mm-hmm. do you have a, a song or two that, that stand out? Oh, only a few dozen. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I have over the course of all the years, different times I'll say to my kids, Hey, play this at my funeral. Yeah. yeah. Oh, play this at my funeral. I don't know that I've ever written them down. Um, but one of them is, uh, I'm totally a old hippie, right? So Beatles, I've loved a whole bunch of Beatles for a long uh-huh. time. So one of them is that, uh, there are places I remember, there right? There are places I remember. I love that song. Um, and also Imagine has always moved me. You know, if you just look at things that have moved me from when I was for all of my life, like not ones that come and go. Imagine is one of those actually the beautiful songs. There are places. There are places, there are places I, I remember. Well, I that's remember. the first line anyway. Yeah. I won't sing it. That would scare people away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. it'll be playing underneath it. So. Oh, good. <laughs> um, that song, by the way, is is again a very powerful representation for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because it. it it's not always about places I've been being a physical place necessarily as much as it's been, you know, a hard place or, uh, you know, or, 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 or maybe a sad place or, um, you know, a, a spiritual place in our lives. Yeah. So uh, I, that song has a, has a meaning for me too. Anyway, too, too yeah. Too well, and then like funny, but you've got a friend in me and like lean on me. Like those songs uh-huh. are ones that I'll... I'll say to my kids too. Oh, play this one. So that's all in good fun. And I do, I do have some spiritual songs that I love too. 
but they'll seem to just change. The song Imagine is, is, seems timeless at this point, even though it's so poignant. It, it's one that just it, it carries a message. It has for you know for so long, and I know any time it's it's played, you know, by, by someone live, um, everyone sort of coalesces around it. They, mm-hmm. they, be, they, they. It's one of those songs that engages everyone. It's almost like a good Irish drinking song. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody can sing along. Yeah, let's call it that. Good old (laughs) Irish drinking song. I like that. Yeah, we can have a wake for me, and then we can play all the songs. It'll be perfect. Okay. So maybe something's maybe maybe time to put that list together. I I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Obviously, I've been checking my own mortality more lately. Okay. So tell us um, if people want to talk to you or learn more about what you do and. And, and um, you know, uh, get to, would like to be able to reach out to you. How, how would you like that to happen? How can, how can people get a hold of you or contact you? What would you like to put out there for you? Well, um, I think that by now people can tell that I take a different approach and stance to challenges or trauma or whatever word you want to put on that. And so quite a while back I realized that you know, a lot of people make that statement, I can do hard things, right? And uh, for me, I flip that. I can do hard things. It's the inside. It's the inside work, right? Yes. So my website is ICanDoHeartThings.com, and people can reach me at Rosie at ICanDoHeartThings. So those are both really good ways to get a hold of me. And uh, we haven't really discussed what I do. Would you like to talk about that for a moment? Yeah. I... I use different holistic modalities Mm -hmm. to support people in them really improving themselves. I talk when I teach about being real, becoming real, and that real is that real inside you. It's listening to that inner voice, right? Um, Authenticity. Yeah, and so it's that real work. And and that word authentic has just been thrown around so much the last few years. Um, but that, that is the essence of it, right? It's being that real, that real you. And, and I've I do, been using the word, the, the term true north recently. True north. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one yeah. too. My, my, finding my true north. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm a certified essential oil therapist. I'm, I was a CNA for 23 years in respite and hospice. Like I have got uh, the... The certifications, you know, certified, I said before, you know, grief support specialist, and it just kind of goes on and on and on. I, I owned an herbal apoth, I was co-owner in an herbal apothecary at one time in Washington State. Um, but what that boils down to is using natural modalities and using um, all these different things that are part of the forgotten knowledge uh-huh. to really help people connect back in with who they are and not keep falling into these old patterns and to really become who they are so that they can improve themselves. Then they improve not just their life, but the lives of everyone around them. Yeah. And that then does improve the world. Like it's just a ripple effect. So that's, That's what I do, and I I would love I would love to help anybody that feels feels called to that. 
they can just email me and reach out at rosie at I can do heart things.com and we'll open up a conversation. I do uh, complimentary consults, 15 minute complimentary consults, mm-hmm. and then someone can decide if it, if I'm a good fit for them or not. That's beautiful. Yeah. A beautiful invitation, a beautiful invitation. Um, I, I am very appreciative of you. I've learned a lot from you and, <laughs> <laughs> and again, some of it through osmosis. Um, and uh, there has been numerous times that uh, I'm uh, educated in uh, uh, Rosie Sess. No, oh, that's funny. <laughs> we could write a book. Um, I'm, I'm on- Maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. Um, there's different times when Kristen will report back on ways that your family is using the tips and the tricks and the uh-huh. tools that uh-huh. I've taught her about. And of course, she has her own brilliant knowledge. She adds to it, too. And um, it's an honor. I truly look at it as, a, as, as an honor to mm-hmm. be on the life journey path with other, with other humans mm-hmm. who are striving to be soulful, right? Yeah. Beautifully said. So it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you for coming and joining us and sharing your story, your uh, joy, your wisdom, and your challenges with us. Yeah, thank you, Paul. All right. We will end here and go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a good week, guys.